We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. After a Saturday night Timberwolves win over the Utah Jazz, the best record in the NBA, Utah Jazz. Somehow the Jazz are now 44 and 16 on the season, and two of those 16 losses have come to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The same Timberwolves who had only won 16 total games all season coming into into tonight. It was it was legitimately an encouraging performance by the Wolves, and I've you know I've said this before because in case anyone is poo pooing Wolves wins at this time of the year in the name of you know lottery balls or something, again let me remind you two things: one, the Wolves don't have a lot of lottery balls, no matter what. Even if they have the worst record in the league, they only have a forty point one percent chance of keeping their pick. Those are the odds, best odds possible. Two, their odds of keeping the pick stay exactly the same if they have the worst record, the second worst record, or the third worst record, exact same. And even if they slide into the four slot, I think some people think if they get to the four slot, they lose their pick. That is not true. If they slide to the four slot, their odds of keeping their pick slide down from 40.1 to 36.6%. 
That's 3.5%. That is not that much. So if somehow your response to the Timberwolves beating the best team in the NBA as well, and then, you know, now they're now they're going to lose their pick. Well, I just don't know if you really understand how small the odds shift is. Go to tankathon.com. They lay it all out for you. Those are the odds. 36.6. That's not that bad. And yes, it shifts further if they get down to five. But let's cross that bridge when we get there. Now, at the same time, I said after the Sacramento win earlier in the week, you know, when the Wolves played absolutely no defense, and I thought it was whatever the opposite of a moral victory is, a moral law. It wasn't a good win. You know, it was they played no defense, and because of that, I think not all wins are good for the Wolves at this time. But if it is a win where the opponent doesn't fold, if the, if the Wolves play a competent game in a way that builds legitimate habits that could carry over into next season, well, then I think that win is 100% a good thing. And this win tonight was that, 100%. I mean, any anxiety about lottery balls should be flushed away by the fact that, you know, Cat had 24, D'Lo had 23, Ant had 23, and they did it in synergy together while the defense was legit good. The same defense that, at least me, that I've been bagging on all week, that's been a major concern. I mean, they showed up and they played a really good defensive game. It was awful in the first quarter. They gave 40 points in the first quarter, but then in the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter combined, they gave up 56 total points. And that doesn't even sound real, but it but it happened. And the, the Wolves playing their scrambling style of defense that they play under Chris Finch, where it's just help and recover after help and recover. I mean, they had a they had a hot streak defense. But earlier in the week, Chris Finch said, I thought this was interesting. He he described the Wolves' defense as kind of like a streaky shooter. They, that's how they've been playing, like where you know they can get hot for a quarter or really cold for a few quarters. And tonight it, it was more of that. It was it was it's the same streaky, you know, Wolves defense. The first quarter again was bad, but it was an extended hot streak. And it included good defense from the group, but specifically, you know, from their worst defender, from Anthony Edwards. He's clearly their streakiest defender, but, you know, tonight Edwards had five steals in tonight's game. And I know steals aren't the perfect, they aren't a great marker of defensive, you know, aptitude, but it made a huge, it made a huge difference in this game. Edwards had those five steals. He had a huge defensive rebound on the stretch, under a minute left in the game, and and I think specifically with Edwards, what's so encouraging about these short spurt streaks of good defense from him is that they, his streakiness is like extended. It, it connects to his offense. When Ant is playing good defense, it inspires his offense. And, and, it, and it makes a, it's when he kind of clicks into that fifth gear. I asked him about it after tonight's win. And do you feel like your defense inspires your offense more or that your offense inspires your defense more? Uh, my defense, uh, not even like getting steals on defense, me just being active, like being in a stance, uh, getting a rebound, uh, boxing. Like anything I do defensively, it's going to translate on the offensive end. Like if I get a steal, I might not touch the ball, but when I touch it, it feels good because I just got a steal. So I might make a shot. Like, yeah, if I play pretty good defense, then I'm going to be good on offense. See my earring? It's dancing. 
I see that. Yeah. Um, in the fourth quarter, there's been a couple of these games where you guys really executed in the fourth quarter on the stretch. And that's the reason you win the game. You go back to the beginning of the season though. There was a lot of the fourth quarters where it was the opposite of that. And I was on a bench. I was on a bench. So is that, I was going to say, so what's the difference between the fourth quarters of the beginning? <laughs> yeah. Beginning of the season, I was on the bench in the fourth quarter. Me and Ricky was just talking about that. Like last time we was here, Ricky was like, I could tell that she was pissed that she wasn't finishing the game. He's like, look at you now, you're finishing the game. I was like, yeah. It's not just it's not just the defense why the Wolves won this one. As I was trying to get to <laughs> my question there to Ant, I mean, Ant did play in the end of this game, and, and the Wolves the Wolves fourth quarter execution was better. You know, it's it's ticked up. It's ticked up. It wasn't perfect tonight, but it has ticked up big time in comparison to the beginning of the season. Now in that last. Game against Sacramento, where they lost, that was bad. They did not. They fumbled away that game with poor late-game execution. But we're seeing more instances of enough execution from a bad team to win games sometimes and to do it through adversity. I think that matters. I mean, tonight it was really encouraging, I thought, to see them handle a really good adjustment by Quinn Snyder when they switch, when the Jazz switched up their defense. They switched up how they were guarding Cat in the fourth quarter. And we saw the Wolves' offense start to stall out and the Jazz come back and take the lead. They took Rudy Gobert off of Cat and hid Gobert on Jared Vanderbilt at first and then on Josh Okogie, and the Wolves' offense stalled out. But they, they came back. They played through it. They played the offense was, was a struggle, but they played defense enough through it, and they scored enough points to kind of out-execute the Jazz down the stretch. And... You know, there, there were numerous times. It was a Kogi down. They eventually Finch pulled Vanderbilt and put a Kogi in because Gobert was just leaving Vanderbilt wide open. And and it really reminded me with a Kogi how, you know, earlier in the season, specifically under Saunders, where there were certain games where, where the opponent would just leave a Kogi wide open. And, and a Kogi would just sit in the corner and get wide open, you know, corner three after corner three and miss them. I mean, I think... I remember talking about this a lot on the pod after the Golden State game where Draymond Green just left a Kogi wide open. A Kogi missed four straight shots, and the, the game just completely fell apart. And, you know, it, it, it totally sunk them because that would not only kill the Wolves' offense when that would happen earlier on in the year, but it would also kill a Kogi's confidence. What we've seen from a Kogi is that when he is playing more confident, his defense becomes impactful. And, and what we've learned about this team is that when they're you know, playing stretches of solid defense as a team, when they happen, that they do need guys like Akogi and guys like McDaniels to confidently be playing defense because they need defense to balance things out. And I thought, I thought it was interesting how Finch not only left Akogi in the game to play through his being left wide open by Gobert, but... He, he found ways to engage Akogi. They started using Akogi as a screener rather than just stalling him out in the corner. And it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Again, the Wolves didn't score a lot in the fourth quarter, but it kept Akogi engaged enough on offense that his defense remained inspired on the other end, and that's how the Wolves won the game was by slowing the Jazz down on the defensive end just enough. And him and McDaniels, they, they kept the Wolves in the game at the end. Chris, they, they went with Bogdanovich on Towns at the end of the game and then had, had Rudy bring in that double. That almost feels like they're, they're daring you to take 
whether it's Josh or Vanderbilt out of the game, you, you, you are your more defensive player in that situation. You stayed with them. What, why did you do that? And how did that like pay off on, on the defensive end? On the well, other we side? Were, you know, we were going to win this game. I mean, we tried it early. We tried everything, you know, early when uh, we went to D'Lo early to try to force them to um, more traditional matchups. They went to it. Um, it didn't really pay off for us offensively. And, and we were in such a groove defensively. I wasn't going to uh, disrupt that just to try to, uh, you know, get cute on offense. I think sometimes we were, you know, overthinking the things on offense with that matchup. Um, you know, there's some things I think we can do a little bit better going into the next game. We play them on Monday. But, yeah, so, you know, and, and listen, I have every confidence in Josh or um, Vando or any of these guys to make a play, you know, and uh, could be an offensive rebound. It could be a cut, could be a three, could be whatever. And, um, you know, we, we need their energy. We need their defense as much as we need anything else out there from anybody else. I like that line of quote, trusting them to make a play, not just make a shot, but make a play with Saunders. The line was more, you know, we trust Josh to make that shot. He, he said that all the time. And that, that was part of the, that was part of my frustration with Saunders was not the idea that he trusts his players. Like that's a good thing to do as a coach, but, but this like implicit trust in the players like Josh specifically to do some of the things that they're objectively worst, they're worst at, you know, that, that was the key example, which I mean, he had, he Saunders trusted in a Kogi shot when that trust just wasn't warranted given the percentage that Josh shoots from three, even when he's wide open. So by extending it out of just trusting him to make the shot and extending it to making a play, trusting him making a play, making a screen, making a cut, getting an offensive rebound, or even part of one of the plays might be the occasional three, but having that in the mix rather than that having that be like the main diet of what engages a Kogi. I mean, what I called it under Saunders was there was this be all you can be ideology that Saunders had in his players. And I think the more realistic way to go about it, or the more profitable way to go about it is just telling players to be what you're best at. And that's what Finch did with Akogi down the stretch. He's not a great offensive player. He was a problem out there, but he had Akogi making plays in, in the right spots. In, in spots that hurt less, and it kept him engaged to play defense. And Okogu is a big part of why the Wolves, you know, won it at the end of the game. I do want to talk more about that fourth quarter, specifically not just about Okogu, but about, you know, what Cat did, what D'Lo did, and kind of how they were, and Ant, and what they were able to do that all in synergy. Because I think what we're learning is for them to execute down the stretch and to win games, they need Cat, they need D'Lo, and they need Ant to all be, you know, engaged and moving the needle. Finch also had some cool commentary on Jaden McDaniels that I want to share. But first, we're going to take a quick break. I'm not sure about you, but I'm taking a rain check on spring cleaning this year. Freshening up for the season with comfort instead with some sheets, with some towels, some loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. And with their birthday sale happening this weekend, Brooklinen is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for their biggest sale of the year. Brooklinen was founded by husband and wife duo Rich and Vicky with the goal to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that don't break the bank. 
By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every time and at a fraction of the retail price. That means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklinen is so confident you'll love everything. It will give you a 365-day warranty. They've even got 75,000 five-star reviews. It's hard to argue with that. Get everything you need for a fresh spring during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop Brooklinen's birthday sale going on this weekend. And if you're listening to this podcast after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's brooklinen.com and enter the promo code MORE to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. So I just went back and I watched the last six minutes of the game. And like I said before, it wasn't it wasn't pretty on offense. It was... It was, it was bad. It was hard. I mean, the Bogdanovich move by Snyder was a really good one. He put Bogdanovich on Cat, and then he had Gobert come over with a double. I mean, that is – that's tough for Cat. And the Wolves, they struggled to get anything going through him. I mean, it's it stalled them out. But their defense was solid. Okogi was super important at the point of attack. And while Okogi, you know, they did get a few buckets down the stretch, while Utah got a few buckets down the stretch, you know, it, it wasn't just being picked apart – by Gobert in the pick and roll. And that's that's has a lot to do with what Akogi was doing out there. I mean, that probably doesn't happen if he's not there. I mean, really, all the Wolves needed kind of in those, those last five minutes was two buckets. And they got one from Cat. Cat found his way to wiggle around through a double team and drive around Gobert. He got one bucket. And then the other one what was a big one from D'Lo in like classic D'Lo flow isolation fashion. The, the, I mean, the Okogi thing with Gobert off him had him all screwed up, and what they what they needed was just D'Lo to go isolate and get a bucket, and he went by, he went by Joe Ingles, and he hit a mid-range jumper with like 45 seconds left in the game that was a played a big part in kind of sealing the end of it. Like, Cat caused the defensive distortion by the weird way that they were guarding him, and then D'Lo took advantage of that. But they also needed more. They needed that defense, like I said, from Okogi McDaniels, and then they needed Edwards to click into that fifth gear. And he did, and he did it with defense. He did it with a big defensive rebound. He did it with a, a, a pick, a, a steal, that he went and got fouled going the other way in transition. That all happened. All of that happened. Cat, D'Lo, and Ant, all with um, under a minute left in the game. They were all impactful in the result, not just in the all 48 minutes, but in the last minute. And all in different ways. And I, I don't think we've seen that happen like that this year. And it, it, it felt like it felt like a big step. I thought this answer from Kat after the game was interesting about how you know how it is just a, a different sort of defense that gets switched up on him every night and and that the Wolves are finally starting to no matter what the defense is throwing at Kat, they're finding ways to adjust and fit around Kat enough to make it work. Well, it seems like every night, every team has a different way of guarding you, multiple different ways of guarding you, a, a, a different tactic. Tonight in the fourth quarter, they switched to Bogdanovich on you, and then they got the, the double coming. I mean, do you even have an idea, like going into the night, what a team, like how a team is going to be guarding you? Or is that just, yeah, right? Do you just have to like read that on one possession and then adjust in the midst of that possession or go like, what's that process, I guess, in your head individually? Um, 
it's, it's, it's just like boxing, you know, everyone has a game plan. No one knows until you get to the fight. Um, so usually, you know, it's, it's the first quarter, a lot of times is a feel out. You'll see me a lot of times on the post, not even really look to be aggressive. I'm looking to just see how they're trying to play it out, uh, make the right passes. And obviously if the double's coming late, I'm going to, I'm going to be aggressive and, and try to make a, a play, um, a scoring play, but um, no, I don't know. I, it's obviously a huge amount of respect I've got from the league. I've worked hard to earn it, but um, you know, I just try to do whatever is best for our team. I think that tonight, um, I mean, there was other nights too, where, you know, first quarter, I think it was Sacramento, the first game we won um, first quarter, second quarter, it wasn't meant for me. It wasn't meant for me to be the scoring threat. It was meant to, for me to make the right plays, get the rebounds, be a defensive presence um, and just make sure they don't get any more second chance points, you know, especially with the athleticism Sacramento had, that wasn't a game for me to go out there and try to score in bunches early on. That's a game where D'Lo and, uh, our guys, you know, get uh, go out there and, and pick the scoring load up. And I'm uh, just going to try to, in a way, be a decoy, but also, you know, obviously be aggressive with my playmaking and, and, and rebounding and defense. Um, tonight was one of those nights where it's just kind of like, just let the game come to me. I wasn't trying to force anything. Obviously, missed some threes early on that I usually hit. Um, but, you know, just really letting the game come. I'm not, wasn't really trying to press it. And um, obviously, in the second half, you know, I was, uh, uh, getting more aggressive and at the end of the first half, I believe I was getting more aggressive just because that's what the defense was giving me. Ant was special tonight. He was opening the floor up for me. So it gave me a chance to utilize Ant's amazing scoring ability to uh, open up some gaps for me and give me some chances to score. Um, D'Lo obviously is a special offensive talent. We all know that. And everyone else as well too, you know, be cutting the weight. When we cut hard and we cut with purpose, it, it helps me a lot, especially on the block with the double teams and stuff, because they like with Josh to them. Like yeah, they, especially with Jade and Josh, you know, Jake Lehman, he's one of the best cutters on our team. You know, um, when they cut, it opens up so many avenues for me because it gives me a chance to play make, but it also opens up the floor a little more for me because with that amount of times I'm, I'm making the play and making the pass and, getting people open, it, it kind of gives people doubt. They want to keep doing that. And once they get that doubt, you know, it's a player, player two, I'm going to be very aggressive and try to make a scoring play and uh, try to draw them back in so I could keep making those kind of playmaking plays. More than just like the spacing for the shooter? Like Yeah, I, I think that sometimes we get so focused on spacing that we don't actually get to the spots where I can make the easy pass, you know. That's pretty interesting there, right? Like, I mean, from Thibodeau to Saunders, the line from both of those coaches was that, Cat needs to trust the skip pass to an open shooter if he gets double teamed. My like Tibbs said that in the playoff. I mean, that, that has, was always the line. And for years, we've seen Cat do that. He's kicked to players. He's been super focused on that skip pass when he gets doubled. And, you know, it just didn't go in at a high rate. <laughs> he didn't have the shooters around him. And I think, I think what we're seeing to start happening in flashes, and tonight was one of those flashes, is a more efficient way about going about that other than just finding the skip pass. You know, Cat is trusting the pass, but specifically based on his personnel. He trust if it's Malik Beasley out there, then yeah, trust the skip. You skip skip to him, trust him to hit that catch and shoot. But if it's a Kogi or even Wancho, you know, a cut might make more sense. And I think we're learning that Cat can just he could do a lot of different things in that situation. He can also just post entry to him gets double he can kick it right back out he doesn't have to make a big play because now if they double him there he can just kick it right back out to edwards or to russell and those guys can isolate 
It might not lead to a wide open three or a wide open basket cut, but Ant or D'Lo can still attack off of those situations because the defense is still shifting. You know, the double teamer will leave Cat when he just kicks it back out, and 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 now there's a seam for D'Lo or Ant to, you know, to penetrate. At the end of the day, I mean, you just want your offense to be able to punish the shifts and defenses. And every single night, defenses shift to where Cat is. And with this person all around Cat, they're, they're just different ways to punish that than they used to, you know, in the past. Having Ant out there, Ant out there in a spot where maybe last year it was Jarrett Culver, you know, or, or D'Lo out there instead of Shabazz Napier, I mean, that just makes those, those options are more dangerous. I mean, if, if the... If the Jazz or anyone is going to guard Cat this way, it's going to be really hard for Cat to score. That's not even that's not even a slight on Cat. I mean, Gobert is a hell of a guy to be coming with a double. I mean, Philly did the same thing with Embiid and Simmons too when the Wolves played the Sixers. I mean, in that spot that the defense, if the defense does that, they're going to get the ball out of Cat's hands. But by them getting their effort to get the ball out of Cat's hands should come at a cost to them. I'll be, I'll be really interested to see how, how Quinn Snyder goes about, you know, attacking the cat matchup when they play the Wolves again on Monday. And, you know, and how the Wolves kind of poise themselves to to counter it. I mean, this is this is the chess match of the of the cat game. I don't know if you guys remember last season, the Wolves actually had one of these back to backs against Utah also. And and in the first game is actually in Utah. The Wolves beat the Jazz in Utah last year, and Cat took 15 threes in that first game that they won. He made seven of the 15 threes, and it was, you know, it was all in, you know, Gobert was dropping back, and Cat was hitting him in Gobert's face. But then the next night, back at Target Center, Gobert started face guarding Cat on the perimeter. We we're like, whoa, I thought, you know, I thought Gobert always just stayed back at the rim. It really disjointed the Wolves' whole offense, and Cat only shot 10 shots in that whole second game, and the Wolves lost that one. I don't know exactly what Snyder's going to do on Monday, but they're going to do something different. They're going to try and find a way to, again, make it so Cat only takes 10 shots. They're not going to let him do what he was able to do tonight. The question is going to be whether or not, you know, the Wolves' reinforcements now around Cat are better than they were a year ago when they lost that rematch. The last thing I want to get to tonight is Jaden McDaniels. Like I said, Chris Finch had an awesome quote about McDaniels after the game, and I'll play that. I'll play that for you in a second. But first, I just want to revisit the idea. I get. I don't know if I'm walking this back, but just re- revisit the idea I talked about after the Sacramento game earlier in the week, and it was, you know, it's just a really another really bad Wolves performance. I think I titled the podcast like "Can we? How concerned should we be about the Timberwolves defense?" and a lot of that concern for me was just about this kind of feeling resided to this idea that, you know, Okogie and McDaniels, two good defenders, are out there playing a lot and it is not balancing out the Wolves' offense-defense balance. And I think that's still generally true. The, the idea that you know, one good game tonight against the Jazz doesn't, doesn't totally change everything. But... Tonight was an example against that theory. It, it, it suggested that Kogi and McDaniels were enough defense around Cat, D'Lo, and Ant for this team to survive. You, you could see the outline of what could work in the future in tonight's game. 
and when McDaniels and Akogi and Cat are all playing good D, which happens often, then D'Lo and Ant and the other guys just need to not be awful defensively in that. That should seem to be enough. So I guess a lot of the ways that, that puts the onus on D'Lo and Ant and, and Beasley when he's back, but I think it would also be unfair for us not to recognize what Akogi and McDaniels have individually been giving on the defensive end. I mean, we talked about Akogi earlier, but McDaniels is the same thing. And and what, what I love about McDaniels is that he just does have that fight in him. I mean, if you if you listen to the pod after that Sacramento game when I was ranting about the defense, I, I ran through a couple of specific plays where guys like Edwards, guys like Russell, just weren't fighting defensively. They didn't seem what they didn't seem to put value in what I called making a five percent difference in the outcome of the play. That idea that you know a shift here or a scramble there or a box out here will have a five percent difference, make a five percent difference on the result of the play. And what I think you get from Jaden McDaniels on just about every play is that he battles for that five percent. He relishes it. He he understands the fight is part of his job. And you saw him down the stretch of tonight's game getting switched onto Rudy Gobert because the Wolves were switching out on screens with Cat, and McDaniels is left to fight a rolling Gobert to the basket. And no, McDaniels didn't always win, but that's not the that's not the five percent thing. It, the five percent is is not about stopping Gobert; it's about slowing him. If you always fight like McDaniels always fights, you know, then there's going to be real value in that in the aggregate. His coach just clearly loves that about him. Yeah, Chris, just last year on Jaden, I mean, he got stuck on Gobert late a couple of times underneath, just the way that he was able to fight um, in those situations and 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 either come up with a, a rebound or create a loose ball for you guys. I mean, how, what did you think of his toughness in in those situations? Jaden's tough. He's a fighter. Like I, one thing I noticed from the from the jump when I got here, like he's he's not afraid of like mixing it up. He'll you know somebody hits him, he'll hit him with a little elbow back, and he competes. You know he competes all the time, and um, you know he 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 may not always have the physical strength right now to match up with some of these guys he's going against, but he keeps going with going going at him and going at him, and um, you know we love that about him. He's He's got a special, we talked about it before, he's got a special defensive acumen and tenacity. Um, and, you know, that competing against Luka Doncic one night or wrestling with Rudy Gobert in the post the next, he's willing to take it all on. I think we've gotten to the point where we've, we've come to expect these, this general type of performance out of McDaniels. You know, I'm guilty of that. I've just come to expect McDaniels to be the best defender on the team every night. But... I don't want to lose sight of of what a positive development that is for that to be an expectation. I mean, this is a kid who we thought at the beginning of the season was likely years away from being a positive contributor. And here we are. It's almost an every night thing. And on both ends. I mean, if we're running through the most impactful developments of this season, you know, as we look forward to next year, the number one development is the most meaningful thing is the fact that Cat has made the jump to being an above-average individual defender. Uh, if we had three magic wishes this season, I mean, we, we should have definitely invested at least one of those wishes in that happening to Cat. And it, it, it's come true. Cat isn't Gobert defensively, but Cat, if you still think Cat's a bad defender, I mean, you're not watching him individually what he's doing. 
And I think if we had another wish, it would be, I mean, <laughs> this development from McDaniels playing so well that he's not, he's not just an intriguing prospect going forward. I mean, he, Jaden McDaniels has made himself a bonafide part of this team's core. The Wolves, I mean, as much as anything, the Wolves need to balance their offensively tilted roster. And Jaden McDaniels contributes to that. that he, I mean, he feels like he might be one of, if not the biggest influencer on the team of that of that happening. And that's just a that is a wildly positive development in a very poor 17 and 44 season that Jaden McDaniels has gotten to this this level. I mean, I I understand I that you got the local guy, you know, the I have this proximity bias to Jaden McDaniels and I'm seeing it every night, but it is just nuts to me the amount of praise I read and hear for other rookies like Sadiq Bay and Jay Sean Tate, who are other they're good, they're doing good too, but that those guys are named as, you know, some of the top rookies in this class and Jaden McDaniels's name doesn't seem to crack the top 10 of most rookie lists. I mean, I just think that is objectively wrong. McDaniels is impacting winning. He's just impacting winning. And it's, it's at a level that's not that different than Tyrese Halliburton. It's just not that different. I mean, like Halliburton, McDaniels's play as a rookie suggests that he will, at a minimum, be a strong role player in this league for years to come. What more? I mean... If anybody has higher expectations than that out of any of these rookies, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like what McDaniels has been this year now for 61 games is a wildly positive development in a poor season for the Wolves, and it's something that is going to carry over into next year. All right, that's all I got for you tonight. I will be back with a pod on Sunday afternoon with Britt. Um, so look for that in your feed, you know, Sunday evening, Monday morning, um, before the Wolves play the Jazz again on Monday. I'll also be doing a locker room app Q&A Sunday night. Let's call it 5 p.m. Central on Sunday night. So for those of you who already subscribed to that, come on in. Um, we'll have a conversation. There's not many times where we get to, you know, <laughs> take note of a legitimately positive we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Juncture of the Timberwolf season, I think, 
I think that's what right now is. I mean, I think this was a meaningful win because it highlighted what this roster can and should look like going forward. Other than that, you know, it's it's the Jazz again on Monday night. This time it'll be at Target Center, and it would be, man, it, w- it would be so Wolves for their only two-game winning streak, or their, I guess their second two-game winning streak of the season to also happen against the Jazz. I mean, they won their first two games of the year against Detroit, and then the second one, the winning streak, came against Utah. That was the first two games of the year. And then it would just be, you know, equally, I mean, in line with the insanity of this season if somehow the Wolves beat the Jazz in back-to-back games. So weird. But we will cross that bridge if and when we get there. I will talk to you tomorrow with Britt. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah.